0: Twenty five trips around the sun is long enough to make a fool out of any one. Oh, I've tried to keep my head on straight to navigate the fate. I've done my best to wait.
1: But the clock is back. Hi, everyone. This is Harrison Goodio, co founder of Sustain Music and Nature. And welcome to Songscapes. Today, Charles Copland is joined by mandolinist extraordinaire, Sierra Hull. Having been surrounded by music at an early age, there was never any doubt in her mind that she was bound to be a musician. With a Grammy nomination, collaborations with the likes of Bela Fleck, Alison Krauss, and countless hours on tour, she's just getting started. Sierra's latest album, 25 Trips, is a collection of songs reflecting on her life's journey so far and hints at some explorations into new genres, but with the common thread of her bluegrass roots. To kick things off, Charles and Sierra explore the beginnings of her musical career.
0: You know, you got started with this thing really, really young. So I got to ask you, what's it like to be 11 years old and being mentored by Alison Krauss?
2: Oh, gosh. I mean, you know, it sounds kind of funny to say because she happened to be the one that I did get to kind of have as a mentor of sorts, but she was really my biggest hero ever. I mean, when I first heard her music, I I picked up the mandolin when I was eight. And, you know, those two years um, in between before I really met her, and, and the first time I met her, it was just long enough to get a photo. So I guess you could say almost three years before I played on stage with her um well I guess a couple years I yeah first heard her music when I was nine and so those two years in between before I actually stood on stage with her which now you know two years feels like you blink and it's over but as a young person you know two years can feel like a long time and I mean I spent two just really impactful years of my early playing listening and studying those albums, singing along with those projects. I mean, literally, she was my superhero, you know, so the fact that I got to even meet her, let alone play with her and kind of become friends with her and and her become a a family friend was just insane to me, you know, especially growing up in such a small town where I really hadn't even got to see many of my heroes uh, perform live before, you know, we really had to travel to, to get anywhere to see those kind of people up close it was more so just living with those albums in my hand and staring at the covers and listening to the music and you know absorbing it that way and sort of dreaming of the day that I'd maybe get to actually talk to them or know what they were like as people.
0: And how do you think they they their influence shaped your musical career? So for instance, if you you're obviously extraordinarily talented and driven and all those things, you, you would have been successful regardless of of having that exposure to artists like Allison and some of the others. But how do you feel that they were integral in your musical development?
2: Oh, gosh, I think it was um, an undeniable boost to my musical world to just get the opportunities that I did as a young person. I mean, to, you know, my dad, if I would ever I-, I loved playing music from the moment that I started playing playing the mandolin. I mean, I was eight when I got one and started learning to play and just knew immediately that's what I wanted to do with my life. I think that was kind of a, a really fortunate thing. I mean, I, I have friends still at my age now that that are still trying to figure out exactly what their passion is and what they want to do. I mean, <laughs> I think we all kind of go through periods of time of, you know, and I have my own questions in life, but but music and knowing that's what I wanted with my life has never been a question for me. You know, of all the other gray areas <laughs> that, that, that I have in my life from time to time, that's always been the one kind of certainty that I was just like, that's what I know that I want. And even um, from such an early age, I was just was able to find that. And I, I realize now how fortunate that is to find something that you can really kind of pour your life into, pour your passion into. And so to be able to, really look at these heroes of mine, even from such an early age and go, that's what I want to do. I want to be just like these folks. I want to make records. I want to tour. And then to be able to meet some of these folks pretty early on, you know, within the first couple years of playing, I had been able to be exposed and, and meet some of my heroes. And, you know, growing up in the bluegrass world, we're not talking about meeting Beyonce necessarily. I mean, these people are, are a little bit more accessible, you know, Allison, maybe in some ways being the least because she was one of the bigger stars in the genre, you know, so the fact that looking back that I got to actually meet her the way I did still is kind of unbelievable to me. But I think I'm lucky to have grown up in a genre where your heroes are essentially approachable. And you can actually, you know, get to know them and befriend them. And they're uh, generous with their time. And and it's very much um, this kind of community of musicians that there's a real passing down from one generation to the to the next and and i've always found that to be a really special and beautiful thing about being in a, a genre of music that that has that community
0: yeah no definitely all right let's let's fast forward let's talk about 25 trips can you talk to us about the process of making that record. I know you did some new things. I know you added some electric instrumentation for the first time. I know there was some improvisation. It seemed to be a completely different approach in making this record. And I wondered if you could talk about the record, both in terms of music and the sounds you were trying to make, and also the theme lyrically. I know you've had a lot going on in your life. So kind of give us the, the, the inside scoop or the creative process to, to the record.
2: Yeah, well, the record 25 Trips is a reference to a song on there called 25 Trips and 25 Trips Around the Sun. And and uh, there is a, uh, there's a lot of themes of time that kind of run throughout the record and sort of, you know, I think we all kind of experience moments in time where we're just ready for whatever rain cloud that's hanging over our head to kind of pass on. We're ready. We're kind of looking to the future, ready to get through whatever period we're in, you know, and get something more hopeful. But then there's really beautiful moments in life where I think if we stop long enough to kind of look up and be like, wow, this is an amazing moment in my life. And and I'm so busy looking ahead that I'm not being present. You know, I need to stop here and really savor the beauty of this moment. And so those themes kind of run alongside each other throughout the record, and I found myself, even without realizing it, writing a lot about that around that period of being 25, and so, you know, hence the reason of calling the record 25 trips. But prior to this record, I had worked with Bela Fleck, who we were just talking about before we actually started fully chatting here, and Bela and I did this record together called Weighted Mind, uh, and that record for me was really Kind of stripped down, all the layers peeled back. I'd grown up playing bluegrass and always been in that that bluegrass instrumentation, surrounded by banjos and fiddles and (laughs) guitar. And and as a mandolin player, have always been interested in a lot of other genres too. But bluegrass was really my roots and where I had found you know a home and and fellow musicians that I collaborated with. But as a songwriter, I'd always felt like when I sat down to write a song, or I sat down to sing a song, it didn't always sound like the traditional music I had grown up with. It was very heavily influenced by all the different things I was listening to and other, you know, um, musical interests that I had. And so I really found myself around the time of making that record, having this, real desire as a songwriter to kind of put that part of myself forward, I guess. So 25 trips fast forward after going through that, where we stripped everything back and kind of put the songwriting at the front of it. And in some ways, the vocal and the mandolin playing at the front of that record, because the whole record is mostly mandolin and bass. I knew that 25 trips, I didn't want that album to just be a repeat of, you know, everything stripped away. I I think I found myself longing for that full instrumentation wanting to have, you know, more soundscapes and things like that on this record, but I knew I didn't necessarily want to just go back to the the previous kind of bluegrass instrumentation sound. I wanted to have elements of that, but I wanted to build on that too. So, so some of this record really was built off of Songs that I had written, you know, kind of taken that same approach from Weighted Mind where I guess the, the mandolin part and the vocal parts are kind of woven together in some cases. So a song like like the title track, 25 Trips, is a good example of something where we went in and I recorded the mandolin and the vocal part together. And we did a bunch of takes of that and got something we were happy with. And then I actually started layering things on top of that. So I stacked a bunch of my own harmonies. And then we brought in a bass player and we added bass to it. And then we added strings. We had cello and fiddle and and sort of built it from the ground up. And funny enough, drums were the last thing to go on that track, which is almost backwards of how, how you might normally do something if you wanted to just track something. But part of it was really going... Where is the inspiration going to take us? You know, kind of going, this is sort of the centerpiece of this song, but sky's the limit. You know, I'm going to try to not be afraid of, of whatever feels right to add to this. And then you have a song like Escape, also built very similarly from the ground up. But then you have tracks like Beautifully Out of Place or Poison or The Last Minute, which is an instrumental off the record, where we actually went in with a full band and tracked, tracked those songs live. Um, with the band. And so there's kind of a nice mixture of both building from the ground up and exploring whatever sounds and kind of going, hmm, maybe adding still to this makes sense. Or yeah, maybe drums to this really would be cool. Kind of like painting slowly, you know, adding one color and then taking a step back and going, hmm, what other color could we add? It could be purple, could be pink. Okay, let's try purple. And then kind of throwing that on and going, you know, shaping it from there versus. Knowing a song like How Long is another good example of kind of going, I can already hear what that needs to be in my head. And I know just the players that I want to have on it. And let's just go in and we'll have that energy of everybody being in the room together and playing that down. And so it's, you know, I guess in some ways, a combination of of using the studio in two different ways and in painting two different ways, sometimes having the full vision in mind and sometimes going, you know, let's take some risks and, and try something. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. We want to be bold and add piano to something that could be cool or could not be cool. Let's try it and see if it works. And, and I think we, we got lucky <laughs> on some of it where it was like, really people just play amazing stuff and uh, really brought the songs to life as they do, you know, when you hire the right people.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot, there's talent, there's good songwriting, all that's a part of this. I, so it, feels like you know you grew up this is this is my perception feel free to change it really really getting your reps live and now it it seems like you're getting really sophisticated with your approach to layering and as you would say metaphorically painting in the studio and I'm just curious like if you think that's going to continue to be your direction I know you just put out something recently I think
2: I haven't released a full album, but I've done a single or two here and there. Yeah. Um But I'm actually back in the studio trying to work on, on some things again. And yeah, I, well, it's interesting because growing up in the bluegrass world, it is such a band oriented kind of approach where, you know, you especially playing live, you know, it, it's part of that energy comes from musicians being together all at the same time playing. It's not like, pop music per se, and the way that it can be so perfected. I mean, more bluegrass these days is perfected. People tune their vocals, or they do multiple takes, or they overdub, things like that happen. But they're still usually kind of like, these are the instruments and this is their role. And that's what they do. And you go in and you record it. So I, I really, though, am inspired by a lot of the records that I've loved by other people from other genres that are layered and have the idea of going in and stacking, you know, 10 of my own vocals is just so much fun in the studio. And I love singing harmony. And, you know, I love, of course, I can't do that live. I can't go, you know, have 10 Sierras singing all the harmonies all at once. But um, but in the studio, it's such a a fun experience to go in and make a record like that. That is just much different than the way you know, we would typically do on a traditional bluegrass album. And so, yeah, I think there's a part of me that feels like that will continue to be a part of what I do. Um, But I also feel like there's something really special about the raw realness of so many of the records that I love, where people just go in and they really capture the essence of the moment and stuff can get over perfected to where you kind of suck all the life out of it too. So I think there's kind of a balance for me of trying to figure out how I marry my sort of traditional roots with all the progressive things that I really love too. And I think 25 trips was sort of a bit of an attempt at that. And I'm sure that will continue to be part of the influence of things that I do moving forward, you know, sometimes maybe leaning more into one direction than the other, but.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious with your approach to the studio uh, when you were sort of alone and writing your songs and projecting some of these sounds, are you using a computer at all like a GarageBand app or anything like that to sort of do kind of demos of some of this layering whether it's stacking harmonies or do you just wait and do all that stuff when you get in the studio?
2: For 25 trips it was mostly doing it all in the studio, kind of more on the fly and, and sort of having some idea. I think I've gotten more interested in um you know trying to to pre think about some of that stuff now than ever before where i've had you know a little bit more time at home just over the last year and a half or whatever to to get more into recording and my husband's a musician as well and he does a lot of studio work and so we have a pretty humble little setup here at our house but you know where we can um, do a lot of things on our own and so that's definitely something that I think I'm interested in doing, but I'm also such a follow the inspiration in the moment that honestly, so much of what I'm capturing when I'm thinking about ideas is me just like popping voice memos on and just adding one little thing so I don't forget my idea. It's pretty unsophisticated, really, in a lot of ways, where I'm just like following the quick method of trying to get the idea documented for a later time or jotting down a note, you know, in my phone or whatever about could do this or could do that, just so I don't forget stuff.
0: But I think that's the magic of the creative process because if you're too structured and too rigid, then there's no spontaneity. And if you're too spontaneous and you have no discipline and no rigor and no sort of way to conform all this stuff, then you're never really going to get anything done. So it really sounds like you're very comfortably in the middle of feeling this improvisational spirit but also having the discipline to know how to put all this stuff together to, to release something that's, that works, and that's just not meandering all over the place.
2: It's tricky. It's a tricky line to dance, yeah. I think, really, because I think you're exactly right that, that if you don't have any structure, then that can be a bad thing. Like so You, you kind of need a starting point. You need something that you feel strongly and excited about. But if you're too rigid and you can't be open to ideas of especially critiques, then you're, you know, you're really not opening yourself up to the possibility of something being the best that it could be, you know. And sometimes you have to, sometimes you try multiple things and you go back and go, you know what, this thing we did on the first take was as good as it's going to get. Mm-hmm. Like that's, there was magic in that and all this other stuff, you know, we got too excited thinking we needed to layer this and this and this and be cool and this is cool, you know. But, but sometimes that like takes away from the thing. But sometimes if you just settle for the first thing you do, you, there's never any possibility for going beyond that or beating that or being able to add something else, you know, special. So, yeah, I do think that my goal is to always try to be somewhere in the middle and leave room for also what other people bring to the table. Because, you know, as I said earlier, some, you know, I think part of it is sometimes hiring the right people that can also interpret what your vision is you know, as vague as it may be sometimes and be able to say, oh, this is kind of what I was thinking. Can you try this? And sometimes it's cool, but sometimes it's cooler in your head than what it actually ends up being when they really do it. But then they can take that idea and try something else. And you're like, yes, that's even better than what I had in mind, you know? So I think being open, there can be a lot of magic that happens that way as well.
1: Stay with us. More from Charles and Sierra after the break.
3: Ever wonder why conservation messaging has such a hard time reaching people? So did we, and that's why we started Sustain Music and Nature. We take a celebratory approach, showcasing the beauty of public lands through music. Music reaches everyone. Our mission is to make music a force for nature. When you watch one of our National Park music videos or attend a concert out on the trails, our goal is for you to be inspired to enjoy and support these at-risk areas. Public lands belong to all of us, and music is the perfect way to bring this message to everyone. Consider a one-time donation or join our Patreon to help us create exciting programs and musical collaborations that celebrate and protect public lands for all you can make music a force for nature. Learn more at sustainmusicandnature.org.
1: Sierra and Charles discussing her musical beginnings and some of the creative processes behind her latest album, 25 Trips. To start off the second half, Charles asks Sierra more about how she balances being a band leader with her other collaborative projects.
0: Yeah. And also you're a solo artist. So like you, you wear a lot of hats. Like sometimes um, you're accompanying other musicians and it's more their gig and you're just sort of there to add something to it. And maybe they're taking your input and maybe they're not. And then other times, most of the time now you're in charge and you sort of have to decide, am I bringing the right person in? Am I open to your point of taking what they're bringing? Or are they sort of going in a direction that's not really where I wanted this to go? And how do I, gently and delicately bring them back into
2: he what they totally. do.
0: Yeah. For somebody, you're kind of um in a way a paradox because you're so young, but you're not young as it relates to your career. And so I'm guessing that these are the kinds of things that over time you've kind of learned the best way to approach the collaboration, whether it's something you're in charge with or whether you're sort of being asked or hired to be on the side of of something.
2: Yeah, I think, well, I have been doing it what feels like such a long time now, even while still being relatively young, but I will say, like, that's part of the beauty of of being um, in the music world is that I'm always, I don't ever feel like I've got anything figured out every project feels like I'm learning a better way to approach something or how's a better way to communicate, you know, how, what's a better way to, and, and every person you deal with is different. Every project has a different vibe depending on the people in the room and, and what the goal is, you know, Um, I think that's important too. Like, what is the goal? What kind of thing are we trying to do here? You know, like I've never really worked for someone else and someone else's band full time. I've never, I've always kind of done my own thing and, had my own band or, or whatever, but occasionally I'll get to do some things where I get to kind of step outside that world. And, um, this past year has been a fun example of that, where I was part of a a few projects with Sturgill Simpson and got to be a part of making these, these records with him and then doing some stuff with Bela Fleck. And I had a point in September where I did, I went out on tour with Sturgill, uh, on the Willie Nelson tour. He was, part of the outlaw tour, they call it. And, and we went out and did some shows. And then I went immediately the day I got home from that tour, I went immediately into rehearsal with Bail Fleck and you've got somebody like Sturgill who these records we made are, I mean, honestly, every note that I played on those records besides adding one harmony part on the mandolin was completely live. Like we went in, there was no fixes. That was the spirit of what that record needed to be. It was like, and they're fun. They're fun records. And I love getting to be part of that. And then you turn around with Bela Fleck and we practice for like 12 hours, you know, trying to get this very complicated instrumental arrangements under our fingers and and in our brains. And and it's such a different divide, but they're different goals and different projects. And so they require different approaches, if that makes sense.
0: It does, and you stole my question because I'm a big Sturgill fan, and I think the Cutting Grass uh, albums are interesting to me because you, I volume one and two, I guess you probably played on on both of those, mm-hmm. and I think what's so interesting about Sturgill, and it's sort of like what you're doing in reverse, is he had been spending so much time in the studio layering these yeah, wonderful exactly. records. You know, take doing a Nirvana cover, whatever, and then what's so kind of interesting about the Cutting Grass records is they seem to be the exact opposite of that, which kind of, like I said, is the inverse of what you're kind of doing right now, where you're sort of entering the stage of more studio sophistication, which means yeah. when we talk again in two years, you're going to be like, I just wanted to do a record where everything was lost. Now
2: I'm back to Cutting but Grass. That
0: was, <laughs> yeah, Exactly. But that must have been – I mean, Sturgill is such an interesting dude that that must have just been a fascinating experience, especially, like I said, to be working with him on something that was so in- anathema of what he had been doing, which was all this studio stuff.
2: Well, the cool thing about Sturgill is that though he has – like he's made so many different kinds of records, you know, it's kind of – he seems like a hard hard one. You couldn't really put him in a box, which I admire. I think that's really cool that, that you know, he kind of just follows his uh, – inspiration in that way but he really you know sometimes people decide i want to make a bluegrass record because they've done all this other stuff and it kind of sounds like a fun thing to sort of to come over and do but for somebody like sturgill he's not kind of just on a whim decide you know what i want to go acoustic and do this you know bluegrass thing it's like he really has deep roots and love for bluegrass music and so um you really feel the sense of respect that he has for all these musicians in the room and appreciating what the genius of Stuart Duncan is, you know, bringing, you know, unbelievable fiddle playing to the table and not just kind of like, wow, he's, he's really good, but you know, he, he kind of gets the world that, that, that bluegrass musicians grow up in strong lover of the Stanley brothers and like the real traditional bluegrass. And so, um, I mean, I remember the first time I got to go do something with him is, um, we, we went and did the Opry, the Grand Ole Opry just played, uh, with the Bluegrass Band of what sort of ended up becoming partially the band for the Cut and Grass Records. And, and at the time I thought, cool, you know, I got to call some Dave Ferguson. You want to come play the Opry with Sturgill? Yeah, sure. Awesome. I'm in family. Let's do it. And, and then I remember going and playing and we did some traditional Bluegrass songs. And, um, and I remember thinking, man, this guy's the real deal. Like he's not just kind of like putting on his bluegrass hat, like it's kind of in him. And that's cool because it's, you know, it's, I think really playing bluegrass um, or old time music, any of that stuff in a real authentic way can be hard. If you don't have some sort of real roots to it, you know, you can, you can love it. And and I welcome anyone and everyone to come to the table, but I do think there's a different thing when somebody kind of is connected to it in their you know, family history in some way, or they actually grew up with a love from it since they were young and that kind of a thing. Um, There's a kind of authenticity to it that you kind of can't just snap your fingers and have that I think I went, wow, he's got that. that's really cool.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, you touched about this before more when you were talking about the themes of 25 trips, but there's that presence that's necessary. And so when you have it in you, you're not really, you're not having all this inner dialogue. It's just musicians who are getting together that this is part of your DNA. It's part of your bloodstream. So there's
2: yeah. there's
0: not a lot of thinking and it's more just really instinctual. And that's when I think some of the most exciting stuff happens.
2: Absolutely, yeah.
0: The pandemic is something that obviously is a part of everybody's lives. And I'm curious, you can take it in whatever order you want, with either the making of your record or now, as we hopefully, knock on wood, get back to live shows again, how has, how has it affected your studio self, your live self, or even your personal self? How, how have you managed to, to? It's a, you're doing great work in the midst of it all, but it's still got to be something that, you know, it's at times maybe works to your benefit, what I call a pandemic positive, but it is a challenge.
2: Yeah, I mean, of all, if, if there's silver linings to be had, which I feel like one of the real fortunate ones, you know, as far as that goes, it's like I've had family that have thankfully all been healthy and, you know, all those things. And I know there's been so many folks who can't say the same and have just been through some real, real hardships. For me, I think, you know, it gave me a chance to sort of step back from my career in a way that I just haven't ever done. I mean, um you know, I mentioned that I've just known since I was eight this is what I wanted to do. And I think I kinda hit the ground running full force. So this is it, you know, all in. And it really is such a um way of life, I think, to really choose to be a musician and invest yourself into it fully, you know? And so I've always been somebody that's been doing a million things at once and touring and, you know, kind of always um almost too busy (laughs) to think. And so it was interesting to like, have something actually force me to take a pause that I never would have given myself otherwise. Um, And so it allowed me to kind of, I've spent so much time thinking about my own music and working on my own music. And I certainly did during my biggest chunk of time where I wore all the touring stopped and things like that. Um, So all the time that I had at home, I, I wrote tons of songs and like really had a chance to kind of enjoy some of that quiet time that's really hard to find when we're just all so busy mm-hmm. um and so i'm i'm really grateful for that honestly because it gave me it gave me the kind of awareness to realize you know knock on wood whether i really like stick to that or not to to know how important that is and to realize you know what taking a couple months off sometimes maybe like the perfect recipe for being able to reset and renew your inspiration and all those things it, it gave me a chance to get away from all the music that I, you know, you go out on tour and you play your own music most of the time, maybe some covers and things like that, but you know, you're you're playing a lot of your own stuff just over and over and over. And this time off the road gave me time to just even remember why I love music in the first place, to just be a music listener again, you know, and not that I'm not always listening to stuff, but we're just hit with so many things constantly. It's like, you know, new record comes out, new thing comes out. Maybe you hear five tracks off of it. and You never really fully digested the way that I did when I was, you know, an eight-year-old just falling in love with the music. So I think it gave me a time to go back and revisit music that I just really loved and, and, and uh, was inspired by early on, like Tony Rice or Doc Watson or even Alison Krauss, you know, music that you kind of obsess over for a long time. And then you sort of go, okay, I've had my period of obsession here and I'm going to you know, go dabble over here and listen to all the social stuff. So I think in a way it kind of brought me back home to the, to the love of music in a different kind of way where I just kind of got to enjoy music because it wasn't like I was having to learn music for a particular project. It wasn't like I was, you know, trying to work away on something of my own necessarily though I was continuing to write, but it it wasn't like prepping for a big tour or whatever because my tour basically for my entire record got canceled (laughs) you know, as soon as the record came out, the world shut down like two weeks later and the whole tour just fell apart. So I think I had such a focus of what I thought I was going to be doing, which was promoting 25 trips. And then for all that to go away, it was suddenly like, well, I mean, I just made a record and I, you know, just was planning on doing all this touring. So it was a a very interesting time to go, dang, what do I even do right now? You know,
0: yeah, we started this podcast in the middle of the pandemic and what I've really learned from talking to a lot of artists is that as human beings, especially in the United States, we're not really big on hitting the pause button. But hitting the pause button, I think has done a couple things for musical artists that I've spoken to and you seem to be in this camp. So one, it's incredibly frustrating because you've birthed this music and you want to share it with the world and you want that human reaction to it, the dancing, the singing, the clapping, which now you're going to get in a delayed fashion. So in a weird way, people are going to be a lot more familiar with 25 trips when they go see you now than if you would have played those shows. And in some ways, that's going to give you stronger, more visceral reactions, because when you're more familiar with the music as an audience member, the concert's more fun because you're, you know. It's true. Yeah, exactly. And it also, I think, for so many songwriters has given them so much perspective and the opportunity to sort of gain strength. Having said all that, I think we all agree, we're tired of this nonsense and we want life to resume back to normal. And hopefully we we continue to learn some of the lessons that we learned during the pandemic and we pause a little bit more often. I, and to that, to that point, you know, you had mentioned Allison, So I wanted to go back to something that you were probably doing and have been doing for a while that now you're sort of in the position to be a teacher and I, I'm, I too teach. So I'm just curious, you also are a teacher and if you could just sort of, because it was so fascinating to me when you're talking about coming up and having all these mentors and these heroes. Well, now there are probably a lot of people that are learning from you. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. Well, I've always loved if there was an opportunity to share anything that I know or could help, especially with like a younger person, you know, um, there's always been that part of me that like wants to, you know, I guess you could say give back or whatever the same way that, that my heroes have done for me. I've always felt passionate about that. But, but teaching has never been at the center of, you know, what i necessarily focused on, you know, it's always been writing, recording, performing, you know. And that kind of has always left very little time for teaching, so I've never for years people always hit me up about, you know, can you do a lesson and like I, I never really have the bandwidth to to do it in that fashion. And so there's a a company called ArtistWorks that's um they do things much like the masterclass series where you actually design a whole course program from start to finish and and you you film uh all the way from you know how to hold the instrument how to hold the pick you know what the name of the string is like you know the parts of the instrument like all the all that really early um you know stuff that one would learn all the way to you know more advanced techniques more advanced um songs and, and things like that. And so they had approached me a couple years ago about doing this. And at the time I just thought, I don't know. I don't know if I really, you know, I'm quite ready to do that. And so they hit me back again in early summer of this year. And honestly, I, I took the call as a courtesy call. I thought, I thought, again, it was just going to be something that I didn't think I quite, you know, had the bandwidth for, but, but knowing that, you know, teaching and, and sharing, you know, what I know with others and trying to help other players and stuff like that was something that I did eventually want to do. I thought, well, I should probably look into this a little bit more. So I started kind of looking at the way their courses are set up and it's a subscription based thing. So it's pretty cool in that um, if you're somebody that's interested in learning, regardless of your place, uh, I've pre-filmed over well over a hundred videos so you can kind of go. You can get the subscription. You can go on and you can learn at your own pace. So you could, you know, hopefully everybody kind of starts at the beginning and works their way through and and goes through basic technique stuff all the way through. Like I said, more advanced um, things. But the thing that makes this course kind of interesting is that there is a a video exchange element. So you could just kind of like the master. Class series, you could just be a subscriber, watch the videos, work on them privately, never interact with me as the teacher at all. If you, do, if you don't want to, maybe you're shy, maybe you're busy and you can't, or if you want to go full in and you're like, this is something I'm working on my first G chord and I want to like send a video to Sierra and show her my technique and see what she thinks about it. You can do that. So, So it's pretty cool in that the individual students can send me a video and it's usually just you know a short clip, and then I'll send them a video back with specific you know direction toward that student and things that that they can work on different ideas um and then it gets posted to the whole site so it's it's very much like an ever growing catalog of videos where all the subscribers get to see these video exchanges so it's it's a really unique thing in that way and and kind of is an ongoing thing where I do feel like, well, I didn't just do these videos and that's the end of it. I do feel kind of like teaching is now more a part of my world than ever before, but it's in this really modern impactful way that can work with my schedule because I can do it when I'm on the road and I find a few hours to just get on there and do these video exchanges and kind of allows me the flexibility, but allows the student the flexibility as well to, you know, work on things at their own speed and, you know, participate in the video exchange or not.
0: Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic opportunity. And I love the fact that, you know, cause I've done masterclass and I, I, I think what's missing is exactly what you were saying, which is that sort of, if I'm really working on this, can I actually like make a connection to the person that's teaching me? And I like, I like the sort of freedom of, of the back and forth. So that's really cool.
2: Well, and the students like have a community of like-minded people too. And that's what's cool because they can connect with one another on there and there's, you know, chat boxes and stuff where, where they can, um, you know, I know plenty of them will be like, Oh, I'm coming to this show. And then, Oh, I'm also going to that show. And then they meet each other and they make friends and it's a really kind of beautiful thing to have sort of a shared community of like-minded musicians who are, participating in this very virtual modern way, but there's a real connection there, which is pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And what happens when they meet each other and they form a group and all that exactly. Uh, You've been really generous with your time. I want to let you go, but I do have a question to ask you. We, you know, this is obviously a podcast that deals with both music and nature. We've talked rightfully so a lot about your music. I know that you also have a connection to the land. I ask all my guests this question it's actually two questions there's sort of a what is your favorite public lands moment and what is your kind of go-to song when you want to think about nature? so you answer it any way you want, but I guess the question is how how has nature both musically spiritually been been an influence in in your in your life and your musical career and <laughs>
2: Well, that's interesting because before we started filming, I was just saying that, you know, we're having a particularly weird warm uh, weather bout here in Nashville right now. So I'm sitting outside, so listeners may hear my birds chirping in the background <laughs> of this interview. But, um, I, you know, I grew up in the country. I'm from a little town in Tennessee called Birdstown where there's literally like 900 people. So growing up, you know, I didn't have real close neighbors. There was lots of open land to just run around and play. And, and being in the woods, you know, uh, was a, a huge part of my childhood. You know, my dad is a real outdoorsman and likes to, you know, uh, take the four-wheeler and ride back through the little trails and stuff like that. So being here in Nashville, I'm lucky to have a, a space now where, you know, I'm, I am i might see some deer in my backyard on any given day in, in the, the summertime. And I just, I, I can't tell you how much I need that and love that in my life because I think as I live such a busy paced life where I am often, you know, spending time in, you know, uh, planes and buses and vans and, and studios with no windows and in a venue, you know, sound check it and you don't get out till nighttime or whatever, you know, it, it can be a crazy life uh, to live sometimes. So those moments of just being able to be out and in, in the, you know, outdoors and, and whether it's just, you know, literally sitting out on my back porch and enjoying some beautiful birds chirping, you know, or seeing a deer in my backyard. It's even, even those little things mean so much to me for refueling me. And I think part of that maybe is because I just, the way I grew up and, and, you know, not being in the city and things like that. But um yeah, it just, it, it definitely is something that I think as a human being, I need to just kind of bring me back to who I am and center me and spiritually and all those things, just those quiet moments, you know, where we can just kind of stop and take a deep breath and be grateful. So that's my long answer. <laughs> that's my long answer. A good one. Yeah. As far as songs, I've never really thought about that. Per- particularly. I-, I will say this, you know, talking about being recentered and and things that bring you back to who you are. I think that I've experienced that a lot over the last year and a half, much like I was talking about, about going back to just some of the early music that reminds me, you know, we, we grow older and we do change as people, but I think there's always that part of us that really just still remembers where we come from and who, who we were when we were a little kid. I don't feel, I feel older and wiser, and I'm sure that'll continue to happen as I get older, I hope, and all those things. But, but when I go back, I still remember that little kid you know, in that fell in love with music at an early age and all those things that kind of take me back to who I am and where I come from. And so I think, you know, any of that early music, like I was talking about, if I put on Tony Rice Church Street Blues, you know, I can immediately get back to that space. And there's something really, you know, beautiful about that, I think, and just kind of much like being outdoors can kind of do that for me.
1: Sierra has always known that she'd be making music and 25 trips is a reflection of her career to date, reminding all of us to take some time to be present and enjoy the moment. You can purchase the album on her website at sierrahull.com. You can also catch her at a show, including guest performances with Corey and the Wong notes and her own headlining tour in March. Songscapes is a production of sustained music in nature. If you like this program, please subscribe, write a review Give us a follow on our socials at Sustain Music and Nature. If you want to make a donation or are just interested in learning more about what else we do, check out our website at sustainmusicandnature.org. Thanks for listening, and until next time, see you out on the trail.